Smith. And I'm Chuck Osborne. And welcome to the Iron Capital Podcast. Where we break down investment stuff with anecdotes and stories that non-financial geeks can understand. Hey, this is Michael. And this is Chuck. And it's Wednesday, November 1st, 2023, the day after Halloween. And this is the seventh episode of the Iron Capital Podcast. So I'd say let's get to it, Chuck. But first, how was Halloween? Halloween was good. Yeah. 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 We had a lot of um, a lot of activity at our house. So yeah. it was good. We had like 350 people or so that come. It's like it's like a play. You get drop off of kids practically in buses and stuff. So oh. it's it's wild. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. So. We w- we went with the full size candy bars this year. Oh, how would that go? And it went all right. Although there was one little kid that came and was like looking around the bowl to pick something. And he's like, are these all adult size? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and he just walked off. And I'm like, why would you not? <laughs> I'm like, you don't have to eat it all at once. We've got a neighbor who works for Hershey anyway. and he had full, he'd go, they walk around full size candy bars. And like, we were all talking about like whatchamacallits and, and all these like that the kids don't know anything. Oh yeah, about. yeah, it's, like the zero bar, which are sleepers. Those are the those Absolutely. are the bomb. That's right. If you like the white chocolate, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah. All right, well, great. Well, um, all right. So let's get to what the actual podcast is going to be about. Chuck, what is on your mind? Um, engagement, uh, viewer engagement. We had uh, um, a comment from uh, um, one of our previous. <laughs> Um, podcast and um, the uh, one of our listeners wanted us to discuss investment planning hmm. so which was um, very unique I'm, I'm happy the way he announced that because investment planning um, is a different thing than financial planning yep significantly so well obviously we'll delve into the investment planning but let's prime the pump a little and discuss what is financial planning and then of course we can talk about the difference between that and investment planning. Sure. Well, financial planning is uh, far more broad uh, than just investments. And um, and so you're, you're talking about not just how you're investing for the future, but you're talking about um, insurance. You're talking about uh, tax planning. You're talking about estate tax planning potentially. Um, you're, you're talking about um, lots of other things besides just investing. Um, and it's also, I mean, this is actually an important thing for people to know. No one ever uh, talks about in our industry, like, what do these letters behind people's names actually mean? Yeah, yeah. And uh, when you're talking to someone who is a certified financial planner, a CFP, Uh, That means they have gone through a course of study, which is uh, very shallow, but very wide. They know a little bit about a lot of topics. Yeah. And um, and, you know, and I'm not disparaging the CFP. There's value in that. Uh, But. Um, it is what it is. The you know the CFP designation. If you look at those um, uh, the classes you have to take, those are associate level classes. Um, if you were to transfer that to college credit, yeah. So you're talking about a junior college level um, understanding of tax. Um, so it's like you know taxes 101. Yeah. It's estate planning 101. It's accounting 101. 
it's you know it's all these intros to different things and that includes investing and that's important because you know the way most um cfps actually get paid is through investing yep and there is nothing in the cfp program that qualifies someone um in our opinion to to really be able to create a investment plan sure um it is a very rudimentary just introductory level um of what investing is all about and uh, now that doesn't mean that someone who has a CFP doesn't have that knowledge. No, they may have they, gained it. They may have gained it yeah. elsewhere, yeah. but they didn't get in the CFP program. Yeah. And, yeah. So, um, and so that is important to understand. So there is a difference between financial planning and there's certainly a value for financial planning uh, because it kind of touches on everything yeah. in your financial life um, versus investment planning, yeah. which is really geared towards how do we now manage this money? Yeah, right. The financial plan kind of helps you ID what your goals are. It helps you zero in on what you are actually trying to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, again, in the CFP curriculum, um, the, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the keys to it is understanding the time value of money, uh, which is, Again, it's fairly simple math, but it's the fact that, okay, how much money do you need to set aside today if you need this much money in the future? Yeah. Yeah. Can you do that math? I mean, yeah. that's kind of the backbone of uh, a lot of financial planning. Um, and then also, again, having kind of, a, you know, an introductory level of knowledge of taxes and um, of you know different strategies and so forth and so on. So yeah. that, that that's um, and there's a lot of value because the CFP can oftentimes be your quarterback. That they can't they're not qualified to actually write a will, but they know a little bit about state planning. Yep. And so they can help you with the state planning. Um, they're not qualified to be your accountant. Yep. But they know something about tax. They know something about accounting. They can help you in these areas. Um, and I would argue that they, it's the same with investing, yeah. that, that, that um, um, they, they're not actually qualified to give you investment advice, but um, they know enough to, you know, to, to kind of help you in that area. The quarterback analogy is great, and I really haven't thought about it that way before because it's really kind of getting you in touch with and running all the other professionals that you should be having help you. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. a lot of what the financial planning process is about, is that you you kind of have this one contact who's, you know, yeah. um, not necessarily, you know, they're not writing the will, but they're, yeah. they're maybe referring you to the attorney or they're, you know, you know what have you. Yeah. Um, they're not actually doing your taxes, but they're working with your CPA um, and in all of those kinds of things. Well, they're usually not doing your investments either. Usually in most places, the CFP is simply relaying what their investment back office is saying, is right. saying uh, to exactly. most no, exactly. instances, exactly. which is the same thing. So. Right, right. Yeah, but so when it gets to um, the investment plan, um, you're dealing now more with, okay, we've done the financial plan. We know what our goals are. We know how much money we have to set aside. We know what our current portfolio is. Um, how do we then manage it? Yeah. Um, and um, and one of the first steps in this actually is a little bit of a conflict with financial planning. So um, if you talk to a lot of financial planners, they're going to tell you, 
okay, you need an account for um, education. You need an account for retirement. You need an account for this and an account for that. And that comes from accounting. <laughs> it comes from the fact you need to earmark these things. Yeah. Um, but what ends up happening is that it, people end up then creating separate portfolios for all of those things. And, um, and this isn't controversial, by the way. I mean, this is just textbook right out of the CFA you know, curriculum. That is a very inefficient way of actually managing a portfolio. The way you want to manage your portfolio is as one portfolio. And, um, and so that is a little bit different. And one of the things we always talk to our clients about is we want to be holistic. We want to look at, you know, all your assets um, so that we make sure that we're actually managing the, them as one efficient portfolio, realizing that there may be multiple. There may be other uses, but it's still goals. part of an overall portfolio. It, absolutely. When absolutely. That, truthfully, and it's that mindset from a planning standpoint that, that perpetuates some of those large issues you see with individual investors when they bucket money and then you end up having you know these tiny positions and these things that don't do anything and, and not understanding how it all works together as whole. Right, and that's another you know it's another thing you have to understand is that the the financial planning curriculum and that entire thing it came from the industry. Yeah, you know it was not like this was an academic <laughs> study yeah. and then the industry adopted it. No, this all came from the financial services yeah. industry. It evolved um, actually out of the life insurance industry yeah, yeah. and how they sold life insurance. And, um, and that is the roots of uh, financial planning. And that's important to understand because the industry's conflicted. Yeah. And the industry wants you to bucket your assets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the, the more accounts, the more transactions, the more money Wall Street actually generates. generates. Yep. And so they love people out there giving the advice of, you know, let's yeah. silo all of these things. Uh, but that is not the most efficient way for the actual investor to be managing their, their money. And we're going to move into the plan in the investment policy, you know, the investment plan yeah. piece. But I do want to say, we've talked about this before, whenever dealing with a planner, if you're dealing with someone who can sell insurance, obviously that's the biggest of all conflicts of interest. You got to be really careful. <laughs> so, because well, right. you can choose and to put money in an insurance product versus you manage it, they're going to make much more money in an insurance product. Than- yeah, and there are lots of fee-only planners out yep. there nowadays, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but most planners historically um, they are selling insurance because yep. again, that's the, that was the it was the old insurance spill that okay, you know, what does your future hold? It's got one of three possibilities. You're either going to die too soon, live too long, or become disabled in the process. And we're going to plan for all of those three things. And, uh, you know, that's that's where financial planning came from. Yeah. That, that, that was the kind of the, um, you know, the initial stimulus. And so early on, most of the financial planners out there were really uh, life insurance salespeople. Yeah. Um, and then the, the brokerage industry got into it, and then now you have fee-only planners, and you know it's evolved from yeah. there. Yeah. But that is that is the origin. Yeah. So now we can move into then the the gentleman's question, which was, you know, how do you create an investment plan? And we really think the first step in that is kind of the creation of the investment policy statement. 
So why don't we kind of start with that process and what that looks like? We've gotten past the financial planning part, now we're moving right. to the next. Right. Step. Well, really, the investment policy is the is, and, yeah. is the investment plan, and so yeah. what you're talking about is creating what institutional investors for years and years have referred to as an investment policy statement, and and this is something that you know um, we and, and firms like us have kind of taken from our institutional background and brought it to you know regular investors is that the idea that okay your invest your portfolio should be governed by an investment policy statement and um, the first thing you do in investment policy statement is you lay out the objective um, of the portfolio and the question we always like to ask our clients is what is the most important thing about this money to you and uh, a lot of our clients think, well, that, you know, I mean, you know, that's kind of a silly question. I mean, what, you know, you, you, you claim to have 30 years experience, <laughs> you're CFA, you've got all those credentials and you don't know what's important about money. Um, and we, of course, we know what's important. Uh, we know what's important to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know things that are kind of important generally. Uh, and we know what's important to, you know, our various clients. But really, this is, um, is very personal. And that can, it can mean different things. Mm-hmm. So for some people, investing is all about security. You know, they, you know, even whether they want to retire or not, uh, they want to be financially secure. They want to have um, accumulated enough to where they know they don't have to worry about their financial future and so for them it's security uh for others you know it may be more goal-driven like retirement or you know something specific that they want to do for others it may be status yeah you know it's just um i mean i have heard multiple people in my life come to tell me you know that uh, you know it's a way of keeping score he's like you know and um you know, you can judge that attitude as you will, but there are people out there that haven't. Yeah. And um, and so, um, you know, for some of for some people, uh, it it's almost a form of entertainment. You yeah. know, they they love following the portfolio. They love. We've got clients uh, like right. That. No, absolutely. Every and they, move of every every company, they want to talk right. They want to talk it. about it. They want to understand it. They yep. they they um, they you know really love knowing what what they own and being able to talk about what they own and um you know and uh, you know for those people um you know that's going to impact how you yeah how you end up investing my favorite is just when people say i want to make money (laughs) you get a lot of that too what do you want to do i just want to make money i just want to make money you got to dig deeper obviously you (laughs) yeah we need we need we need a little more than that (laughs) of course okay so um, no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah, we will hear that a lot, and and that's I think it's because it's a question that isn't often asked. You know, people don't, um, and I think a lot of our competitors don't. They just go immediately into kind of their sales pitch of this is what we can do for you. But we're actually talking about you know how do you put out fires with the Atlanta Fire Department. 
<laughs> so, um, yeah, welcome to uh, recording yeah. in Buckhead. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, no, uh, uh, yeah, we want to actually understand what is important to our clients. Yeah. And, um, and it is going to be deeper than just making money. Everyone, of course, wants to make because the alternative to that is to lose. Although there are those that, you know, perhaps it is more about keeping what they already have. I'll never forget making more. I'll never get the call check that we had when we got a call from a client. It was an awesome client who said, hey, we're actually making too much money right now, which she thought that meant we were taking too much risk. But the point is people like, right. you know. I think the actual comment is I don't need all this money. I don't need all this money. I thought it was all this Yeah, like what am, what am I going to do with it? <laughs> yeah. And um, we thought she might give it to her daughter who yeah. referred, us, referred her to us. But, um, I mean, don't argue. but you, know, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, no, you're right. And, um, and, and for that client, the most important thing about her money is protecting what she already has. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, she's not interested in growing it per se. Yeah. Now we did have to talk to her about how well we need to grow it in the good years because bad years will come. Sure, sure. And the way that you keep what you have in the long term is you still have to grow it. You know, when, right. when the time is right to grow it, yeah. and then um, and that allows you to you know, experience the step back, which inevitably, inevitably comes happens and be okay with it and, be okay with it and yeah. still have maintained your yeah. um, assets over time. So, but, but that is the first step is the objective. And we always, and again, we always talk to our clients on, on this. Um, we, we will get into specifics into actual translating that all to a yeah. number at some point but we want this in plain english yeah. we want to understand you know um and i don't want to just hear oh well, well i want to retire okay well what are you going to do in retirement you know i want to we want to talk about uh what i want to do is you know 10 years from now i'm going to sell it all and i'm going to buy a boat and i'm going to sail around the world and you know that's my retirement dream or yeah. or whatever they're you know whatever it is Th those are the kind of things that we're talking about when this that's the objective yeah let's get concrete here yeah 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 and so um so that's number one um in terms of creating um an investment plan or investment policy is that you have to um as steve covey says you gotta you gotta begin with the end in mind yeah. if, you, if you don't know where you're going there's no way to then create the map to how to get there. Yeah. Um, and um, from there we go into constraints because, okay, we're going to now invest this portfolio, whatever it is. Um, and we want to know um, what are the constraints that we have in terms of investing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the first one that we talk about um, is liquidity. All right, you know, is there a need for liquidity in this um, portfolio? Um, and when we say that, you know, the vast majority of what we invest in is um, or marketable securities, which can be yeah. sold. If you need the money it, tomorrow, you can have it tomorrow. Sold at any time. <laughs> yeah. But what we really are meaning in terms of liquidity is. Um, is there a known thing that's going to happen 
in the foreseeable in the next few years yeah. that we need to plan for. Okay, so so again, it's, you have one portfolio. Your overall objective may be retirement, but you may also know that um, um, we're going to be doing a big home renovation. Mm -hmm. Um, in X number of years, uh, in two years or a year. Mm -hmm. And so we, you know, when we're looking at our holistic portfolio, uh, we're going to need to keep uh, some money liquid yeah. so that we, we can make that expense. So that's, that's the first mm -hmm. constraint. Uh, the second constraint we talk about is the time horizon. And this is really where people, um, this is probably the biggest constraint. Uh, this is where, frankly, a lot of the industry, this is the only constraint they look at. <laughs> um, the entire retirement date, um, you know, uh, portfolios that you have in retirement plans yeah. are just based on this one constraint. Yeah, the only uh, yeah, yeah, constraint. Yeah, it's the, your time horizon. And it's a misunderstood constraint, truthfully. It is, <laughs> because um, your time horizon actually goes in stages. All right, so... Um, as we talk to our clients all the time, let's just assume that, that it's the, uh, the objective of the portfolio is retirement. And I don't know, maybe it's a 45-year-old um, you know, couple mm -hmm. uh, that we're talking to. Uh, they're going to retire at age 65, so they think, well, 20 years is my, That's my time, time horizon. horizon. Yeah. Um, no, uh, that is not true. Uh, your time horizon is really the entire life of the portfolio, which in the case of a retirement portfolio is going to be your life expectancy. It's your entire life. Right, exactly. Yeah. And so your 45, really their time horizon is, uh, you know, 40 years, I'm mm -hmm. a, you know, yeah. um, uh, if not another 45 years. And um, now we don't put that in our investment policies, as we've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, the you know, my um, economic professors, when they were teaching us how to pro project out into the future, said anytime you're dealing with mathematical models, twenty years is infinity, <laughs> and so um, that is. Uh, we just say more than twenty years. Yeah. Uh, but but really, the the whole time horizon in this case is um, going to be 40 plus years. Yeah. Uh, the, the 20 years until retirement uh, for th this couple is just stage one. Mm -hmm. All right, so the first stage is going to last until age 65 when they retire. And then you're going to transition into stage two, which is going to be the actual retirement years. And so the time horizon has Stages. Stated, yeah. And if you're talking about a more complicated investment plan, so maybe you've got, uh, maybe it's a 45-year-old couple and they've got college education coming around in 10 years. Uh, and so stage one may be that 10 years until we got to take care of these kids going to college. Mm -hmm. um, stage two will be from there to retirement. Stage three will be in retirement. Um, th that's the complexity of the actual time horizon. Yeah. Um, and that's also where you're taking a holistic nature as opposed to the way most financial planners would treat that is that there's just three different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, as if completely three different yeah. buckets. Uh, but, and again, that comes from the industry and the whole 
silo product mindset of of the industry. Uh, but that, uh, in our view, is not how you actually create an investment plan. I mean, it's all your money. Right. You have different needs for it. Exactly. And you have to, you know, ration those finite resources as you can. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So. Um, so the next constraint that we will talk about is uh, regulatory constraints, uh, because um, again, for the bulk of our clients, retirement's the number one issue. So most of that money is going to be in a retirement plan. There are rules um, governing retirement plans, and so that creates a regulatory uh, constraint. There are things you can and can't do in a 401k plan that you could do in just a regular brokerage account, mm -hmm. for example. And so there, there are going to be some regulatory uh, constraints. Um, also for us, because we sign on as a fiduciary, and you hear a lot about that in marketing nowadays. You hear commercials about signing fiduciaries. Well, not all fiduciaries are created equal. Yeah. And, um, and so there is the ordinary kind of uniform investor uh, level of fiduciary responsibility, which is, a, um, you know, as that one level of prudence that you must have with your clients. The highest level of fiduciary responsibility is governed by ERISA, uh, which is uh, what fiduciaries for retirement plans uh, are called to where everything must be done solely in the benefit yeah. of um, the, for the retirement plan participants. Um, that's the highest level of fiduciary responsibility. And for us, um, anytime we're managing someone's retirement plan, if it's a qualified retirement plan, um, a 401k, what have you, um, we hold ourselves to that ERISA standard. And yeah. we put that in the, yeah. the investment plan so that they understand that this is our fiduciary obligation to yeah. you. Although okay. truthfully, we hold ourselves to that level across the board. Well, we do, we do. But, <laughs> but if, if, but if, it's, if, it, if it's a regular, um, just taxable account, yeah. we, um, because technically you're, we yeah. are governed by yeah. the Uniform Investor Act. And so that's, um, th there is a difference there. Yeah. So there are uh, regulatory issues and that will also lead then to taxes. So taxes are a constraint. So if you're managing money in a retirement account, which is tax deferred, uh, you don't have to worry about timing of sells or buys or you know realized or unrealized gains mm -hmm. or any of these things. But if you're managing money in a taxable account, then taxes become an important yep. um, issue. And the one thing we always tell our clients, um, which sounds so logical, but it actually goes against what a lot of people do in yeah. reality, yeah. is that um, we want to um, have a goal. It's a goal, we can't promise it, but our goal is to maximize our after-tax rate of return. And um, again, that sounds obvious to people, but that's not what most people do when it comes to taxes. What most people do when it comes to taxes is they do everything they can to avoid yeah. paying taxes. Your step one is minimizing taxes. Uh, right, right. And so we always tell our clients, okay, if you if you really truly want to minimize your taxes, lose everything you own, become become completely broke, and yeah. and you no tax you will well, you will not owe any taxes. Yeah. And in fact, the government will give you money. And I don't think that's what most yeah, of our clients really, really want. Really want. Yeah. So, uh, so we want what we want to do is we want to be tax aware, 
Another way of putting that quite simply is we don't want the tail to wag the dog. All right, we don't want to make a huge investment mistake uh, that costs us thousands of dollars because we were trying to avoid hundreds of dollars in taxes. Yeah. I mean, um, and so, um, you know, um, don't let the tail wag the dog. But we do want to be tax aware. Yeah, but we want to be smart about it. And we want to be smart about that. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, the last constraint that uh, people can put on the portfolio or, or is anything that's unique to them. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe they don't want to invest in certain types of companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe uh, they already have, and it, there could be tons of reasons. Yeah, there's a million reasons. Right. Um, I don't want to own banks. I wouldn't. Don't. I don't want to own a company that makes guns or cigarettes or. Right. Or or all of those. There's things. a million reasons. Personally. Right. Right. Or yeah. And for the vast majority of our clients, is you know they will tell us that there are no unique yeah. constraints. Yeah. Uh, but every once in a while it happens. You know. So I remember years ago we had a client who um, there were no constraints on his portfolio. He just said, "You what if it'll make money? Uh, we're good with it." Um, he was in an income type strategy, and we purchased um, a, a tobacco company. I can't remember which one it was at the time, but it, we and you know um, the tobacco industry for years now it's been a dying industry, uh, but it is uh, an industry that is a cash cow and, and pays out a lot of dividends, and so that these um, are good in you know. It depends on the market environment, but oftentimes they're good um, income type investments mm-hmm. that will pay a high dividend. Um, and um, he had said he was fine with it. We actually did it. And when we did it, he's like, you know what? I, this just doesn't feel right to me. I don't want to do that. Yeah. And fine. So we we created the constraint, no tobacco companies and um, and you know, uh, we went from there. So that those are um, so those are the constraints of the portfolio uh, that will govern a lot of what goes into into the plan. Mm-hmm. And then the next big thing is uh, the thing that I think most people actually think about um, is the amount of risk you're willing to take and the amount of return you're aiming for mm-hmm. or and or need. Yeah based on your financial plan. And again, that's where the financial plan may come in because it may say that, well, I need to get this percentage uh, of a return. Yep. Yeah, and there's a yeah, and there's an inverse relationship in a lot of ways between risk and return. Correct. And that, um, so that is one of the reasons why when we do this, uh, um, I think most people start with the return mm-hmm. and then they talk about risk on the, app, on the backside. But we always like to begin with the risk uh, because, uh, to coin a phrase, defense wins championships. <laughs> but also, um, you know, the risk tolerance is going to determine whether or not the return goal is realistic. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you you can't have a uh, you know twelve percent return goal. Yeah. And then say, well, I don't want to ever see more than a 10% loss. Yeah. All right. Those two things do not. Don't exist. Do, yeah. It doesn't exist. That is the stuff of Ponzi schemes. That, and that, Madoff, right? That's where that's. Absolutely. And we, uh, 
Um, I actually um, um, you know, told a prospective client one time that, well, I think what you're looking for is Madoff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if you, you know, because what you're asking for is just isn't realistic. Yeah, it doesn't exist. And so, <laughs> um, so that is, uh, that's, that's not going to happen. And, um, and this is where if you're, if you're dealing with somebody, if it sounds too good to be true, it really is. Yeah. Yeah. But we're talking about risk, though. Let's, you know, let's talk about the difference between ability and willingness and how to think about those two Okay. of risk. Um, so, yeah, we break down risk in two buckets, as uh, you mentioned. The first is um, the investor's ability to take risk. And this, again, is a lot of times um, what the industry will just focus on in terms of risk. You know, and then they make these big, broad, blanket statements like young people should be uh, take All risk stocks, and yeah. and old people should be conservative yeah. um you know for us um you, we will break down your ability your ability is going to be determined by the constraints uh, it's going to be determined by the time horizon um, how much time do you have um, if you do have a longer time horizon you're able to take more take risk, more risk the market will bounce uh, because exactly you can recover from uh, from a downside um, the um, um, the amount of your financial resources will determine how much risk you're willing to take. Um, so this is a great example, uh, Michael, where um, if you're looking at different types of retirement plans, like you look at a 403B retirement plan, um, if you are a school teacher in a public school system here in Georgia, and we'll just use this as an example, this is true most states, may not be true at every state, but um, most states that I'm aware of, it's true. Um, you know, public school teachers are one of the few employees in the world that still have a defined benefit plan. They have, in the state of Georgia, this sponsored plan called TRS, the Teacher Retirement System. And, um, and so a lot of their retirement is actually taken care of by this defined benefit pension plan that is just provided to them as a benefit for being a teacher in in the state of Georgia. Um, so, um, so if you are um, a teacher who's also then saving for your own retirement in what would be a 403B plan, which is very similar to the 401k, so but, 401k but, yeah, okay, um, if, if you're in that situation, then you have a much higher ability, Your ability goes up to, to take risk yeah. than a corporate employee that doesn't have any pension plan. And the 401k plan is the entire, it's all you, got. It's all you have. Um, and so you're really relying on it. Whereas with the 403b, it's really supplemental mm -hmm. to your main retirement plan. Yeah. That gives you a much higher ability to take risk. Yep. However, we're stereotyping, but most personality types that go into teaching aren't big risk takers. Yeah. And so they may not have the willingness to take risk. And the, um, so there's a difference. Now we may also go back to, you may have someone that is very close to retirement. They're right on the edge of barely being able to, you know, financially retire. Mm -hmm. They can't take a lot of risk. They do not have a big ability to take risk. They need to hold on to what they have because yeah. um, they can't afford to take a loss. 
but maybe they're they've always been a roll the dice kind of gambler yeah. personality, and they have a big willingness to take risk. Um, so th- those two things are very different, and or can be very different. Yeah. And um, what we always do is we govern the the investment plan based on the on the lower of those two, which what whichever one of those is lower is what we um, do. Most of the time, it's the willingness that's lower. Most people can actually take more risk than they think they can yep. uh, or feel comfortable doing. Um, and so most of the time, it's the willingness. And that those are pretty easy conversations to have. It's a little more difficult conversation when you um, having to talk to someone who doesn't really have the ability to take risk, but they want to. Yeah. And um, and that's a little tougher of a conversation. Yeah. Um, but that's part of being a, a real fiduciary is that you you have to be willing to have you tough, have tough conversations. conversations. Yep. And so uh, so that is uh, um, the ability to take risk. The other thing we talk about all the time with risk is okay. How do you actually define what is risk? All right, because. Um, you know, most people in the industry simply put these big, broad, fuzzy titles like you're aggressive or you're moderate or you're conservative. Yeah. And those things um, are all in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. You know, because um, we've used this before, but Warren Buffett describes himself as a conservative investor. And he also says that if you're not willing to see your portfolio go down by 50%, then you shouldn't invest in stocks. Yeah. I mean, those two things don't compute to most people. No. Uh, but it computes to Warren because he um, doesn't invest in anything that he doesn't have and doesn't get to know intimately well. Yeah. And then he has a huge amount of confidence in it and he just believes it's going to work out over time. And to him, that's conservative. Yeah. For most people, they'd be scared to death doing what he does. Yeah. And so, um, so really, that's in the eye of the beholder. And so what we try to do in our plans is actually put um, a downside threshold on there and say, you know, if we have a bear market, um, what's the worst case scenario you know that you're willing to live with? And so just use last year uh, as an example. Um, you know, when the bear market first happened in equities, um, the stock market went down about 26 percent. Mm-hmm. And, and that's pretty typical. So if you're going to be a 100 percent stock investor, you need to be willing over a short period of time to see as much as a 30% drop. Yes, it happens. Because it it happens. Yeah. And now over time, that is where you'll make the most money, but at any given time, that's also where you're gonna see the most downside. So, um, so that's that relationship between risk and return. And, um, and you gotta be, you got to, in our opinion, you got to put an actual number on it. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Because, you know, the, the way people, investors, uh, participants, whoever you, however you want to think about it, make the biggest mistakes is when they, you know, um, don't properly understand their own willingness to take risk. Right. And they sell at the wrong time. So what, you're try- what we're trying to do at that point is to stop the mistake that kind of can't be come back from, that you can't. 
you, you can't recover from, and that is the market goes down 40, you completely get out of 40, it jumps by 30, and you never get back in, and you have experienced a true kind of life-changing loss. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think about this all the time. There's just a guy I met at a, in a bar in um, the summer of 2009, and um, if you know, we'd just gone through the financial crisis. Um, in March of '09 was when we hit the bottom, and it just bounced back dramatically. And he was one of those guys, and and you know, he doesn't. You, they don't come out and admit it that way. Um, he talks like he's the most sophisticated investor ever, you know, and like a lot of people that as soon as they know what I do for a living, they'll start talking to me and, you know, want to prove that they know more about investing than I do. And, um, and he uh, had sold at the beginning of 09, very close to the very bottom of the market. And he was still out of the market and was going to stay out of the market because, you know, this isn't over. It didn't make any sense. It's right. And um, I, I really wonder, because I've never seen the guy again, but, uh, you know, I wonder, I mean, how many years did he stay how long before, uh, he got back in? before he got back in? Yeah. And, and based on studies and, and, you know, kind of the psychology of investing, which we've talked about before in our podcast, um, that um, he is probably... Uh, waited way too long, yeah. and um, and, and that causes a life-altering loss. Yeah. Um, whereas, if you stayed invested through that whole period, even though I mean it was not fun for anybody, um, but you did recover from yeah. it, yeah. and and so um, that's why the risk tolerance is so important because we want to make sure that we can keep you invested. So we want to know at what level can we keep you yeah. on track. Yeah. And, um, and that's really important. All right, so then we can move, I guess, on to the return objective. Yeah. Yeah. So the return objective, again, part of this goes back to really making concrete what was kind of the soft objective at the beginning. Um, also ties into the financial plan. So, we, you know, if we do the time value money calculation, okay, we, we want to retire and we're going to need this much to retire and this yeah. is how much we have and how do you get from here to there. And ultimately, that becomes a number. And for us, as we, um, we believe that uh, prudent investing is absolute return oriented, and this is where that return goal comes from. And so, there's going to be a return goal uh, for the portfolio, um, which is going to be you know whatever percent return we actually need to hit our targets. Um, and um, and that could be you know anything from 4% to 10% or, you know, what, you know, yeah. uh, it does need to be realistic. It's got to be realistic. Okay. Um, and, and, and it also has to be a goal that is stated in terms of the long term, meaning a full market cycle, you know, so you're going to have years. If your goal is eight to 10%, you're going to have years where you're going to have 20% returns yeah. plus, um, otherwise, you're not going to hit that long-term goal yep. because there's going to be years where the market goes nowhere. Yep. There's going to be years where we are negative. You look at where we are right now, we've had that big bear market, and in reality, we really haven't recovered from it. Yep. We haven't come back. Um, 
which is incredibly frustrating because the economy has come back and companies have come back, but the stocks haven't come back yeah. because the, uh, the, the pundits keep saying we're uh, that recession we're predicting it's going to happen next month, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. next month. Uh, and so, um, you know, everyone focuses on the S&P 500. And earlier this year, we had, you know, the AI phenomenon that drove that index up. Uh, but that mark, you know, you know, depending exactly where we are today, somewhere eight to ten percent still below where it was before the bear market. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at global markets, we're still down twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. And small caps even more. Small companies, in yeah, the, even but, small companies in the U.S. Yeah. But yeah. If you if you look at a truly global portfolio, yeah. which includes the small caps, mm -hmm. includes emerging markets, international markets, all the different asset classes, then you, you know we're still down. 20%. And so, but the point is, those things are going to happen along with the years that we get the big, big returns yeah. that, that people talk about. Yeah. So, your return goal has to be realistic. And, um, and you know, it, it is, and for some clients, we do have to talk to them about how it may be lower than what they think in their head because. Yeah. Um, you know, they think about, well, what is my average return during a, a bull market? Yeah. Well, you also got to factor in the bear market that mm -hmm. follows the bull market. And what is your average for that entire time period? Yeah. And so that's, um, th that's where we, we come up with uh, the return goal. And th those things um, are all things that we have that uh, that's the input. That's um, and, and it, most of that will come from the client. Uh, we'll guide them through it, but that's all the the client's doing. And then it's our job to take that and create the output, which is the actual um, investment portfolio. Yeah. Um, and that's sometimes where we get into some. Um, funny conversations as well yeah, with clients yes yeah when they've said this is these are all the things that I you know want or or think I need in a portfolio when with the inputs of the investment policy statement and then when you say well hey here's a here's what that portfolio would look like right exactly so we will come back to the client at that point and say okay these you know these are the goals and I could I mean um, it doesn't happen all the time, but it, we, I, it happens frequently where you will sit there and you go through all the goals and objectives, the amount of risk they're willing to take, the return they're willing, you know, they're, they're aiming for. And, um, and then um, you will, you know, say, okay, well, this is what the portfolio is going to look like. And, you know, just in big, broad terms, let's just say it's going to be, you know, 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds. And then they'll come back and go, well, I think I need to own more bonds than that. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> you're like, okay, um, let's go back. All right. So the what do you want to change, you know, yeah. in the input um, that's going to create this output that you artificially in yeah. your mind think yeah. needs to occur. You need to take less risk. Uh, you want to make less money. Right. You want a lower return. Right. So we gotta, yeah. we're going to lower your return goal. We're going to increase, um, or um, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, which way? Um, you're, we're going to say you're um, uh, more risk averse. Yeah. And, um, and so we got to change those things. 
you know, to actually justify having a portfolio that looks the way that for whatever reason you have a preconceived notion that it should look like. And, um, um, and that does happen oftentimes with, with the clients. Yep. Yeah. And that's all part of what we call the portfolio policy, which is really, you know, what are the, you know, what's the portfolio going to look like and how are we going to invest right. the portfolio? Well, and then that provides the, you know, uh, we often refer to it as this is the sandbox in which you're allowing us to play in. So uh, that defines exactly how we're going to manage their portfolio. Yeah. And uh, then we, we take over and we actually do it. Yeah. Here are the assets that we can right. invest in. Yep. Buy and sell disciplines, when we choose to buy, what we choose to sell, um, asset allocation, right? all the rules with which we can, uh, you know, invest within. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And then, you know, then we can talk about how it works for us. So once, once the investment policy statement is finished and that all has been agreed upon, mm-hmm. we, then we have to actually get to the point of, of creating an actual portfolio. So that's it. That's I think that's uh that's what we've got. We you know that's how you create um an investment plan. Yeah. <laughs> so that, yeah. So there's a lot go there's a lot that goes into it. A lot that goes into it. So this you know this topic came from someone actually making a comment to us. So um you know if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, please uh please let us know. You can do that on on comments YouTube right. anywhere and yeah. um, send it to us by email, however, but we'd like to hear it because we, uh, it's very helpful for us to hear what people actually want to talk about. Right. But please, yeah. Yeah. Including old school candy bars that uh, we may not (laughs) (laughs) remember the name of. The love of the zero bar. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, please like and share. That's always very helpful for us. So thank you. All right. Capital Advisors is an independent registered investment advisory firm headquartered in Atlanta with clients nationwide. Learn more about us at ironcapitaladvisors.com. The Iron Capital Podcast is produced by Iron Capital Advisors. Our awesome original theme music was written and performed by Michael Smith and Leah Calvert. This content is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions or advice. Clients and employees of Iron Capital may maintain positions in the securities discussed. Please like and subscribe to the Iron Capital Podcast on YouTube and...